Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Rink Wrap, the Bruins podcast with your host, Mick Collagio. Mick has been covering the Bruins since the Boston Garden days and has the guests and the insights on the hockey world from the local to the NHL. So drop what you're doing, drop the puck, and listen in on Rink Wrap with Mick Collagio. Hello, everyone. It's Rink Wrap with Mick Collagio coming to you from the Standard Times office in New Bedford, Massachusetts. Here at uh, South Coast Media Group, we have uh, several uh, podcasts that are wonderful. We get Banner 18 with Brendan Curie, who does the um, digital media for Standard Times and is assistant sports editor. And we know what Banner 18 means. It's, uh, it's that fever you get when Kyrie Irving uh, knocks down a million gazillion three-pointers and takes over a basketball game. Uh, Celtics obviously in due process of getting together their season, and um, we also have lots of podcasts. Uh, and uh, so, and you can find them wherever you find your podcasts, uh, Google Play, iTunes, you name it, we got it. And I do the hockey one. It's called Rink Wrap. It's the podcast version of my blog, which you can read. Uh, find it at southcoasttoday.com. There you will find posts on the front page there. Uh, when I do post, um, I do it usually during Bruins home games, uh, make commentary, also write special blogs when the Bruins break news, and uh, the occasional uh, commentary. And you can just, if you want, just visit my blog and read any past editions, uh, blogs.southcoasttoday.com slash Bruins. All right. So uh, our Christmas Aftermath Rink Wrap podcast consists of just a few things today. Uh, one of the things I just want to get into real quick because I really fell behind and didn't get to this quite enough, but uh, the Christmas hockey book season is in swing. And, and there's a, there is an author in Canada by the name of Eric Zwig. Zwig. I can't remember how I say it. I can only remember how to spell it, which is more important for the purposes of you looking it up. So Eric, uh, conventionally, E-R-I-C, and Zwag is Z-W-E-I-G, and he's a Canadian author, and he writes a lot of uh, uh, stuff that helps the NHL uh, put together its official documents on uh, Stanley Cup history. And so he's got a new one called Stanley Cup. Uh, the guy writes tons of stories online. Look him up. Uh, and, and if you want to do some really enriching, uh, hockey reading, um, that's some of it's con- uh, current, some of it's, uh, historical in nature, uh, Stanley Cup, I assume is, uh, historical in nature, uh, and, and a lot of controversy around the cup this year because of the ring that got removed from the ever evolving base of the Stanley Cup, uh, that, uh, trophy that, uh, is now replaced by a blank one so they can continue inscribing new uh, future winners of the cup 
uh, and this is not the first ring ever removed. Uh, the Stanley Cup has had various shapes and sizes over its long 1892 history. Uh, most notably, the full replacement of the bowl, the original bowl donated by Lord Stanley of Preston in 1892 uh, uh, for the Continental Hockey Championship, continental meaning North America, which was pretty much Canada um, when it comes to playing hockey at the time. And um, the NHL uh, became the standard and more recently officially the um, uh, guardian of and presenter of the Stanley Cup. So uh, in 1969, that original Stanley Cup uh, bowl and neck uh, was retired to the Hockey Hall of Fame's uh, Holy of Holies, uh, which you should go see in Toronto sometime if you're a hockey fan, especially an old-time hockey fan. It's an awesome take. Uh, I haven't done it in too long. I did it twice in the 90s. Uh, I'd like to do it again soon. Uh, join me. Um, meantime, uh, the first team ever to win the replacement Stanley Cup bowl in neck atop the ever-evolving base, your 1970 Boston Bruins. Uh, so, and so I had written when the Bruins won it again in 2011 that since the Stanley Cup two, if you will, was so banged up and, and warped and had a straight line to it because of a fall it took during the celebration. Uh, it's just so many welts and adventures for that version of the Stanley Cup that I thought, hey, why not make bookends out of this and have a third Stanley Cup that uh, could replace this one? And people thought, what are you, crazy? Replace the Stanley Cup? I'm like, you don't really understand the history. This isn't the original we're talking about here. So... Uh, that never happened, of course. So the Stanley Cup continues to get battered and beaten and brought about and polished up by the wonderful gentlemen who represent the Hockey Hall of Fame and you know its, ha its handlers uh, that continue bringing it around. And there's a few different guys involved now, um, and they're all great guys. who have gotten to meet them and talk to them and, and see them, uh, you know, and, and they do a great job with it. So um, uh, the Stanley Cup continues uh, the original bowl resides in the Hockey Hall of Fame with the original uh, neck and the uh, bands. Uh, and then there was also, remember, that uh, long uh, cylindrical base that it had that was skinny, that was only as wide as the neck uh, before they went with the wider base, I believe, what, early 50s? Can't remember for sure. Um and the in the bands around the wide base were not as big as they have been in the last, uh, you know, maybe sixty years. The the original parts of though of that wide base of the Stanley Cup was was were smaller uh, bands as far as the thickness of them uh, goes in the design. So the Stanley Cup, as you know, it has a long uh, history. And Eric Zweig's uh, book, Stanley Cup. Uh, is certainly uh, worth a read. Just Google it; you can find it, um, and it's I'm sure it's in bookstores too. Uh, it's already it's already uh, got a a ranking in Canada. Uh, I think it's top ten. So, um, uh, Bobby, your book, uh, new book, uh, picture book called Bobby. Um, hey, any of us who have, have the good fortune to have had it in our in our history 
to have been in Boston Garden or any other NHL rink uh, to see uh, the great Bobby Orr play. Uh, that is um, a treat in and of itself, and you probably really would enjoy seeking out and finding that book. And I just want to mention one more, uh, that uh, Matt Kalman, who uh, sits next to me at Bruins Home Games, worked on with Dale Arnold, the uh, uh, longtime uh, Nesson uh, studio host and former Bruins play-by-play man on Nesson, and he had history prior to uh, calling the New Jersey Devils um, and and also uh, the Patriots, believe it or not. And that's actually in the book. Uh, Dale's the first, uh, Sarah, well, boy, good chunk of reading there at the beginning of, the, of Dale's book. Uh, if the, In the series, If These Walls Could Talk, uh, is a series that has been written about a lot of sports franchises. And the Bruins uh, version just came out. And uh, Dale Arnold is the author with a great deal of help from Matt. And um, and so uh, I found it to really be a fascinating read about Dale growing up in Maine and and his uh, his life and his opportunities in broadcasting and how it all came about. And having been through the, the media grinder myself as a career changer in the 80s, uh, I can certainly appreciate a lot of what and relate to a lot of what's going on in, in Dale's story. And then he talks about the great characters he's met and um, interactions he's had with, with some of these uh, Bruins greats that he's uh, had uh, interaction with and friendship with and work with uh, throughout his time with the Boston Bruins. And it's really been an entertaining read for me so far. I'm about halfway through it and got really busy. And now I'm looking forward to picking it up again uh, in the new year and finishing reading it. But I rec- heartily recommend that. That's a paperback, um, probably uh, more budget-friendly than the Bobby book. But uh, I, th- I would recommend all three. I'd, I'd check out Stanley Cup. I'd check out Bobby. I'd check out If These Walls Could Talk with Dale Arnold and uh, Matt Kalman. So so there you have it. Um, uh, now, uh, I'm going to uh, get into the Charlie McAvoy, Tukaras stuff a little bit here. Uh, but before I do, I had a really cool chat at Bruins uh, game day, after Bruins game day skate uh, last week with John Moore about uh, skating because he's a terrific skater. I don't know if you really noticed uh, the Bruins signed John Moore to a five-year contract in free agency that only pays him like a couple million a year. So the price is, is uh, very uh, cap-friendly um, and team-friendly. Uh, but th- this kid is uh, now getting into his later, latter part of his 20s, 27 or 28 years old. And he's been with the Rangers, he's been with the Devils, and now he's with the Bruins. And the question is, what is his upside? What is his potential? He's a left shot, but he can play right side. But the Bruins clearly brought him in to give them more range and more speed behind Zdeno Chara in defensive matchups on the left side of the defense, which is where he's been playing under this... Uh, most recent stretch of Bruins hockey, uh, we don't have Zdeno Chara back in the lineup yet. That may happen very soon. The Bruins are home uh, Thursday night against the uh, New Jersey Devils before the Winter Classic against the Blackhawks at Notre Dame. And I might add uh, Kevin Miller, whom Bruce Cassidy uh, 
called automatic in recent discussion with the press, as in if he's ready, he's playing. So then what do you do? You're going to have seven guys, and um, and Matt Grizzlick's been playing awfully well in his role. So uh, a lot of interesting thoughts uh, right now on, on what uh, shape the Bruins' uh, defense may take, uh, whether there'll be a move, Stephen Kampfer, uh, has been uh, quite serviceable as a number seven pressed in action, scored himself a couple of goals recently, plays a hard-nosed game, uh, makes his mistakes here and there, but he's a hard competitor and a team player and will go through the wall for you. So uh, you got to love that, and you got to be uh, pretty happy with the return on the Adam McQuaid deal, which was meant to free up a couple of million in cap space for the Bruins, which it did, and it also got them a draft pick, which it did, and Camper has been pretty good. So uh, while McQuaid has obviously been a big part of the Rangers' solution this season well, on a defense that is otherwise uh, built um, more around uh, finesse players and skaters, um, Adam is uh, still doing his thing in, in red, white, and blue Broadway, and good for him, too. So here's our discussion with the uh, smooth skating uh, John Moore. So you've been at it since you were a kid, and, and there was a guy in Chicago who passed away? That uh, Yeah, this past winter. His name is Rafe Abar, and uh, everything for him started with your edges, and we would work in maybe like a 40-foot square area, and it would just be on balance on your edges and his philosophy was um, the stronger your edges are that's how you transfer power and as you grow and get bigger and stronger the more comfortable you are in your edges um, I guess the higher the dividends will, will be in terms of power and strength and explosiveness in any given direction what age group are we talking about what age are you when you think it back to this well uh, just kind of stroke of he was uh, working at the local rink that I grew up in and um, every Monday after school it would be me and like 10 other kids would go away from school to the rink and um, skate for about an hour um, and he would uh, it was really uh, you know when you're a younger kid you want to be playing and stuff but it was uh, kind of really focus on the tiny details of skating and uh, building um, strength on your edges and stuff. So it was Hockey like, sticks? Yeah, there not? were sticks, but not a lot of pucks. Okay. Because um, it's all about like balance and, you know, there's so many variables there. We had sticks. Were you, st- were you a defenseman at the time? Yeah, I've always... Well, because I... From a young age, I was one of the few that could skate backwards, and that seems to be the criteria when they're deciding. I just stuck with it my whole life. Yeah. Okay. So, did you have uh, like uh, players that you emulated at all? Like, oh, I. I mean, like Niedermeyer or anybody like that. I would. I love to watch him play. Like, um, kind of when. I was growing up when he was in Anaheim. I would record a lot of his games and watch them. It's tough to emulate. It's pretty late in his career at that point. Yeah. <laughs> and he's still really good. You'd never guess it, though, with the way he moved. I know. Uh, yeah. True. I think he was uh, such a special player, obviously. Um, but, like, his 
first two, three steps, and then he'd be gliding fast than everyone was skating. And, you know, he obviously thought the game at a very elite level and had a great career and was dynamic offensively. But from pure skating, I think you look at guys like him. I remember, you know, Sergey Fedorov was always very smooth. Um, that guy could catch a pass in flight like so few players could, so cleanly and effort. It looked effortless. But you, you could go, he'd be going full tilt through the middle of the rink and somebody could send a, a real strong head man pass. And, and he would just catch it just so perfectly it didn't slow him down or no. make it awkward for him and he just he was so good um you talk about edges being deceptive with crossovers and stuff that was an area that really struck me watching him and he also played defense for a year and almost won on our trophy too people forget how how gifted that player was that's pretty that's pretty different than today's game yeah you don't you don't usually get that anymore no <laughs> um but yeah i just like to watch those guys um, any chance i could yeah um so when you work with a guy like uh this uh, kim Brandvold, who the yeah. bruins brought in yeah uh what kind of things do you pay attention to uh, that you want to like to make sure you maintain as you get into your late 20s here and you turn the corner at 30 when that happens and make sure that you're still a same skater, uh, you know, if you're, if you're playing yeah. at 35 than you are now? Yeah, um, with Kim and one of the big things he's uh, preached in, in my short time here with him, but it's... Uh, efficiency like not wasting energy okay. um, and this is like very granular I guess within a skating motion like making sure that you're not creating drag you want to go to A to B you don't want to go to C and then to B you want to go straight you're talking about an individual stride just or in general just um, efficiency with your edges not you know being clean with your feet but I think, as you alluded to, I guess longevity, that extends beyond the ice. And I think like it's really focusing on stretching, especially your hips and your groins and making sure those are loose. There's so much there and people devote their lives to figuring out the craft of skating. Mm. But for me, like now, my focus is on um, longevity and taking care of my joints and mm -hmm. for me my belief is the biggest thing is hips and I feel like it all once you focus on hip mobility then that really um, pays the most dividends in terms of skating for me personally Brett Hedekin he's another one yeah he was like a one man breakout he was fun to watch mm -hmm. and he married him Christy Yamaguchi. Yeah, so imagine being kids. in his family. Yeah. And imagine being that good and not being the best skater in your family. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> that cracks me up. Yeah. I, I can't wait to see their kids skate. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that'll, be, that'll be fun. Yeah. Well, hey, uh, here's to uh, longevity. Uh, your deal is obviously team-friendly. But you got security out of it, which is great, and had um, uh, a you know it was pretty modest cap hit for your skill set, I would say. But then again, guys who put up points get the money. So. Yeah. But but it seems like uh, the Bruins obviously have plans for you. I mean, I you know I my it's uh, you know I feel blessed to 
have the term as a Boston Bruin, but for me, it's like every day you got to prove it. And <laughs> one year, five year, eight year, it doesn't matter. Everyone walks through the door as an equal. And I think what sets you apart is your work ethic and, you know, ultimately your love for the game and all those things. You know, you got to show up every day and earn it. That's probably why they wanted you. I mean, if you look at a guy like uh, Bergeron and Shara, if those are the leaders, how can you not follow, right? Yeah, it's, it's a great inspiring. example for all the young kids yeah. on this team. It's really inspiring um, to, you know, as a defenseman every day. Um, CNC's first guy in the gym, and he works his ass off in practice. Mm-hmm. With everything he's done, you know, what excuse do you have if you're not on there with him and doing that? Like, we all want to do what he's done and obviously win cups and help our team win, but. You know, what an unbelievable resource for all the young guys here. It, it's a, a great thing, and I'm really fortunate and grateful that I get to see that every day. Last question, and I really appreciate your time. Um, you, um, early in the season, uh, got in a lot of scrapes with guys and, you know, were uh, doing stuff that, you know, and standing up and doing, you know, a good team player, got to fight, got to fight, you know, and make a hit, somebody wants to fight you, another player gets done dirty, you got to go fight that guy, you know, you're doing all this. And uh, lately, a little more quiet in that regard, are they dialing you back at all? To, no, not just, dialing me back, it's just, uh, it's kind of the nature of the game, I guess, like, comes and goes, but it's something that I want to... I want to bring to the table is uh, you know a team first guy that's that's uh, puts the team first and in everything and whatever is asked of me I want to be able to do so it's not something I'm shying away from I just you know. and we saw Grizz do it we've yeah. seen Krug do it repeatedly yeah Char is obviously the guy you expect to be able to handle and Miller obviously yeah. uh, you know he's dangerous yeah <laughs> uh, and but I mean and usually you say to yourself oh no not a defenseman let it be a fourth line winger yeah. you know yeah <laughs> but it's uh, but, but that's, uh, you know, the situation that obviously they want you available on the ice too, right? Yeah, I don't know. I uh, Maybe I got to get in a few more scraps here and get, <laughs> get it back. But. Well, you know, it's funny. Your season, it's, it's funny to look at because it's like you had like monster ice time in a few different games. Like it was a stretch for like one week, about two weeks ago. Yeah. You were like playing like Bork minutes. And then, and then, uh, and then you know, and... Uh, then it got to be a much uh, uh, lighter load on the final sheet of the night for a few games in a row. And um, and that was a little curious, too. It's like, I don't know, maybe it's just purely circumstantial why a guy's minutes go up or like, a guy gets hurt or there's penalties or whatever. Yeah, so I, I don't know. I, I want to play as much as I can. I think a lot of that is... Uh, circumstances and you know great thing about this team here is everything's earned and certain guys are going certain nights they're going to get uh, get the looks and creates a good competition amongst the team which you know ultimately just benefits everyone because the best guys are going to play it means we're going to put the best product on the ice and we're going to win a lot more games that way than doing it the other way thanks a bunch thank you very much as noted in there we, we mentioned brett hedekin uh, who is a heck of a of a skater himself? Um, he uh, is uh, married to Christy Yamaguchi, the former figure skating champion from the United States. And so, imagine being uh, a skater in that family. I think you get some pretty good uh, training, whether you're wearing toe picks or 
or uh, toque blades, uh, one or the other. All right, so finally, uh, let's get into uh, the final phase of uh, Christmas Aftermath, the rink wrap. Uh, let's talk about Charlie McAvoy and his so-called very bad, not good hockey game the other night in uh, Carolina against the Whalers. Uh, first off, I didn't get to see the game live because I was uh, working a desk in the office on the Sunday, late afternoon, evening. And um, so I didn't get to watch until a couple of days later in the morning. So I was really looking forward to it, given all of the social media commentary on this. I figured, okay, let's let's dig into this and let's watch the first period. And I'm waiting for the bottom to fall out because I didn't study the box score before I watched the game. I figured just sit down, watch, enjoy the game. Here we go. I'm watching Charlie McAvoy. About maybe two games after he played what I considered the best game I'd ever seen him play. And I thought his game was pretty good. He was gapping up. He was breaking up plays. He was making simple plays coming out of the zone. I liked a lot of what I saw. Late in the period, uh, there's a handoff from uh, Tuka Rask uh, to the near corner, uh, which McAvoy now has to kick around the skates. And just so happens the two best forwards on the Carolina Hurricanes, uh, Tara Vinen, uh, the one that came over from the Blackhawks and uh, Sebastian Aho from Finland there. Those two guys are bearing down on him, and he's kicking the puck around his skates, looking up and trying to think too many thoughts. I mean, basically, when you're that guy there, you want to eat that puck or you want to fire it around the back of the net or you want to fire it up the boards, you want to get rid of it, you want to do something. Uh, he wound up uh, losing the puck, and then the Black uh, the Blackhawks. The Hurricanes cycled it around. The Bruins got into a good recovery position. And then what seemed like a harmless floater from Teravainen, uh, maybe he knew better. Maybe he had a scouting report here, but he shot the thing, a uh, fluttering little wrist shot right at McAvoy, who was stationed at the top of the crease. And he reached out with his right glove, and it went all right off his right glove and in behind Rask in the air. Oh, boy. So, so there goes one. And that was obviously... A faux pas that um, you think I, I had this image in my mind. Well, what could he have done differently on that play? Well, okay. So uh, this image of Moose DuPont from the Philadelphia Flyers uh, fame of the 1970s, I thought of him uh, not, not as smooth a skater as McAvoy, but very underrated for his size. DuPont was an excellent, excellent two-way defenseman, and he – I could picture him taking a very aggressive stance to it, batting that puck down and skating hard with it and then flipping it out of the zone and doing something. Uh, McAvoy stood there and, and, and went to glove the puck and it went right off him and in. I think he's a little bit of victim of indecision, but I, the last thing I want to do about that first period is get picky because I'm looking at every other shift and I'm marking them down in my head as we're going along. That was a good shift. That was a really good shift. There's another good shift. Okay, so one got away. Oh, no, but he's okay. He's going to be fine. That's good shift, good shift, and off they go. And then finally this happens right near the end of the period. I'm thinking, okay, what was wrong with that period? So all of this rhetoric that I'm hearing about Charlie McAvoy is in a sophomore slump and his game is coming to go into pieces and he, what the heck happened to McAvoy, that's a bunch of crap. I'm telling you right now, don't listen to it. McAvoy's game right now is in an excellent place. Is there a little bit of a uh, uh, crisis of confidence in little scenarios? 
I suppose you could say that. The turnover in the second period certainly didn't pass the eye test. That didn't look good. He certainly had a situation there where Tara Vinen, once again, their best player, uh, comes up and and, uh, and 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 jumps on him, and uh, he winds up turning over the puck, and now he's completely out of the play, and the other guy's coming down the slot, and, of course, the puck trickles through the five hole and wobbles over the goal line about one mile an hour, making it look as painful as possible, especially when you factor in all the, the rask doubt of late. So... We got situations here that do involve the goalie. Um, uh, Tuca has never been one of the better puck handling goalies in the league. And those plays, especially the one at the end of the first period, were not his finest hour. Uh, That noted, uh, McAvoy, uh, if you can take away these one or two moments from the game, his game actually looks pretty good. It looks real good to me. And I got to say, when you get a young defenseman that plays an ambitious game, and I mean physically, defensively, gapping up, uh, supporting the puck, offensively, pinching down, uh, generally playing with an aggressive stance, and you're in that young, and you have that little amount of NHL experience, and you're on such a learning curve Stuff's going to happen. It just is. That's the way it is for young defensemen in hockey. Drew Doughty didn't win the Stanley Cup until he was 22 years old and at the end of his fourth NHL season. The same is true of Bobby Orr. The same is true conference finals-wise for Raymond Bork. None of those guys got close to the end until they were of the, had that kind of experience behind them, which is more than twice as much as Charlie McAvoy has right now. And they were all players of extraordinary ability, great athletes, uh, who thought the game very aggressively and creatively. And this is just the price that a team pays for developing a young defenseman on the job. That's the way it is. And let's also not forget that McAvoy's playing the game with a young group of players. Half the Bruins team is of his ilk on the development age, games played, years in the league curve. And the team competes very, very hard right now and earns everything it gets and, uh, and has gone through a pretty impressive stretch. Uh, some games have been horrible along the way. There's always a clunker here and there. But I think that's what happens when you're required to put out playoff-type effort. Uh, when you're when you're uh, to win regular season games, and this year there are, there are no pushovers, there aren't any disaster teams, there are no dumpster fires out there. I watched the Blackhawks play on TV against the Preds a couple nights before the Bruins got them, and uh, it was a heck of a hockey game. At least the part I saw, I saw about half of it. And 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 right now, you, all the teams that you know were easy to roll over two points last year, they've all stopped the bleeding. They're all playing well. Does every team have a bad stretch in it, six games or so, where you hope to catch them because they're going to be bad? Yeah, of course. That's just the way the league is right now with so many young players. But there's been a lot of good repair done by management teams and coaching teams in the NHL this year that has made points very, very hard to come by. So the Bruins could play just as well as they did last year and not come within 10 wins of last year's total. That could happen. Uh, Have they? No, I wouldn't say they have. 
But I do. But it's great to see that they've managed up until this point, especially with the injuries that have attacked the core of their lineup, to have survived their stretch to this point and to be in the playoff field and to have won more than half of the games that they've played. That is a very difficult thing to do. That is the international dateline for whether or not you can expect to make the playoffs. Have you won more than half the games you played? Well, the Bruins have been on the right side of that line by a little bit for about a month now uh, after hitting the, 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 the wall a bit. And now recovering from that, sometimes, sometimes not. Was the game against Carolina a good one for them? Eh, not really. But uh, I think the McAvoy thing is far overplayed right now. I wouldn't call it sophomore slump. I do think he did start a bit awkwardly. I do think that he has played his best hockey lately. And I do think that these episodes that cost them in Carolina are not to be considered part of the trend of his overall game right now. I think his overall game is actually coming up. I think it's been really good lately. And I expect it to continue to trend in that regard. These should be easily addressed and things that can be cleaned up and are not anything that should have a life of itself unless it becomes a mental thing for the next bad thing that happens. Oh, here we go again. As long as no one else is of a frail mindset, then McAvoy is not a problematic player right now. He's actually been playing some really solid hockey for the Bruins. Uh, I would say that uh, except for these couple of things that happened in the Carolina game, uh, from what I've seen of late, it's been the best version of him uh, that I've seen yet. And I think that this is the trend they should stay on. Keep playing on your front foot. Don't worry about it. Uh, You know, I mean, I remember the Bruins had hoped at one point, however unreasonable, uh, Matt Bartkowski, uh, left shot, McAvoy's right, uh, came up from Providence with a very similar athleticism to his game. Uh, explosive skater, physical player. One night against the St. Louis Blues, uh, one of their best forwards, uh, Steen, was carrying the puck into the Boston end on a partial breakaway. And Bartkowski just legged it down the ice and got right in his way, pushed him off the puck, took the puck away, curled right around him and skated away with the puck. And I was thinking to myself, I don't think I've seen anyone do that since Orr. That was a Bobby Orr thing to do. It was kind of like, no, 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 you're not going to score here. I'm taking the puck. I'll see you later. And that's what happened in that, in that play there. And, and that was the kind of play that Bartkowski could be at times. And it was the kind of player that the Bruins hope McAvoy can be on a regular basis. Should they expect it to happen on a regular basis at this age and this far into his career? Of course not. And they don't. They understand very clearly that this is the life of a young defenseman. Hey, Don Sweeney was uh, – a player who spent time playing in college and then a half a season in the American Hockey League and before getting called up to the Boston Bruins and him playing uh, in a pairing with with Gary Galley and the Bruins going to the Stanley Cup final. Uh, You know, so you got uh, groups here and, and, and defensemen, Ray Bork, Glenn Wesley, Gary Galley and Don Sweeney's joining into this group and 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 it's a fine group. I mean imagine them if they had 
Michael Telvin and Gord Puzak healthy still. Both guys down with knee injuries at the time, and their careers just about over, which was sad because they both had a lot of uh, age years left. They just didn't have mileage years left. But um, uh, breaking into that scenario and, and being on a team that was so well-stocked and ready to do big things, uh, and now we look, look at the team he's got now, you got a stalwart in Zidane Chara who's about to return from a knee injury, an MCL sprain. You got uh, Brandon Carlo playing very good hockey here in his his third NHL season, and you have Matt Grizzlick who continues uh, to to show poise and extraordinary skating ability in his uh, defensive play and transition game. Uh, John Moore, who we had this conversation with about skating, is a terrific skater. And and the Bruins' back line is coming along. It's coming along. It's it's uh, it's an unfinished, it's a work in progress, and it'll continue to be that for a few years yet. Uh, but in the meantime, uh, McAvoy could be a gem of a player here, uh, and I wouldn't let a couple of potholes in Raleigh, North Carolina, uh, take uh, my thoughts about his game off the rails. I think he's been pretty good of late. I think it melds well with what the, how the Bruins are playing right now, and I think that they can continue to grow together and be a better hockey team and a better playoff team at the end of the season, assuming they make it, which it'll be a, it'll be a task, but I think they can do it, and they'll be a tougher out this year than they were last year. If you look at the way the gr- players are grinding and learning how to compete and battle for pucks, uh, this is a harder team to play against than it was last year, believe it or not. Never mind the, what the, what the uh, standings say. This, uh, this Bruins team, uh, they are surviving what they have had so far, and the band's starting to get back together here, which could be pretty exciting for them. So that's the end of this week's uh, uh, rink wrap, Christmas aftermath rink wrap. Don't forget to buy your books. If you didn't get what you wanted, uh, Eric's Wig Stanley Cup, uh, the Bobby book, and If These Walls Could Talk with Talk. I said that like a New Yorker. I'm a Jet fan. I'm a Ranger fan uh, with Dale Arnold and Matt Kalman. So that's it. And until next time, happy hockey, everyone. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.